Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. Happy New Year, what the fuckers. I hope you're all alive and well and didn't get hurt or hurt anybody else over the New Year holiday. Hope you drove safely. I hope everyone's made their resolutions and hasn't broken them yet. I am not uh, making resolutions, really. I am just trying to continue to, uh, to not be as fucked up as I was before. That is my big goal in life, to try to unfuck myself. I mean, what the fuck? Why the fuck not? So, I hope everyone's still with us. I hope uh, everybody's still excited. Uh, I think 2010 should be an interesting year. I, I know that uh, a couple of things that, that I didn't talk about since I've last talked to you, we did take a day off last week, I did visit uh, my my brother, and I, I know I've told some of you that my brother is uh, has three children, he's married to a woman that has uh, four children, and all seven of the children were present when I spent three days there, and as you know, I'm a man with no children. Now, three out of the seven children while I was there were coughing and hacking, and of course, I got sick. I don't know how you don't get sick. I I, am, I have to assume that most parents with young kids have the immune systems of 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 warriors, of, of just they must be immune immunological warriors. It's 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 baffling to me. Can I just say that I I have not seen Avatar. I will not see Avatar. If the only thing that they can say about that movie is it cost three hundred million dollars to make, how shameless is that in a bankrupt country, in an economy that's strained, that they're proud of spending three hundred million dollars on a movie, on a cartoon? I don't care how fucking good it is. For that amount of money spent on a movie with our ticket price, we should get health care coverage. Is that would, would that be reasonable? Three hundred million dollars. On a cartoon? All right, call me a Luddite, call me uh, old-fashioned, call me a party pooper, but what the fuck? $300 million? Seriously. And a quick other uh, WTF note, if I could. Uh, this is a pet peeve I have, and, and I don't know if anyone shares it with me. I don't lose my shit over much in a dramatic way, but there's one thing that I lose my shit over almost always is if I go into a bathroom and I go to the bathroom and then I wash my hands and then I turn around and there's nothing but a hand dryer there. I got to be honest with you, in that moment, I don't have the fucking time. I do not have the time to play with that machine. I don't want to deal with a hand dryer. I don't want to stick my hands under there. They never seem to get dry. It seems ridiculous. It seems that wasting that amount of energy versus wasting recycled paper towel is ridiculous. Give me, give me a paper towel. I don't want to deal with the hand dryer. I will walk out of the bathroom with wet hands and dry my hands on something else. Perhaps a napkin, perhaps my jacket. But I do not have the fucking time to deal with a hand dryer until something magical happened. And it happened twice in one week. In two different places, I came into contact with the Dyson Airblade. Now, this isn't a promotional pitch. They are not a sponsor. I don't see why anyone would have a Dyson Airblade hair and hand drying system in their home. It seems a little ridiculous. Dyson vacuum cleaner, I could understand. But they are making these industrial hand, hand dryers that not only are efficient, but just a blast to stick your hands in. That's all I want to say is thank you, Dyson, for making drying my hands fun again. Back to my brother and his kids. 
So I know some of you think that you know, I might not be great with kids, but I, I do like kids, and uh, I pretend like I don't because I don't have any, and I don't think I'm going to have any. And I know some of you say, you can always have kids. I don't know. Look, me, by, when I'm, when, if, let's say I have them when I'm 50. When I'm 65, God willing, or whatever willing, or hopefully I make it to 65, I want to I relax. I don't want to be dealing with a 15-year-old. I'm, I'm just thinking that way now, but who knows? A woman could call me and say, guess what? Surprise. And I'm going to say, how old is he or she? And maybe they'll say four, and I'm good. And I'll be like, okay, I missed the tough part. Uh, br- bring him by. That's cynical. But I had a lovely time with my brother's kids and his wife's kids. They're all good kids. I could probably remember all their names. I know, yes, I could. I don't need to do it right now. But what I would like to get to in, in terms of dealing with children is let's go back to the, uh, the rock band guitar hero argument. I got bad emails about this. I got flack. Got flack about it. Hold on. Hold on one sec. Let me just take a... Pow! Whoa! I just shit my pants. Justcoffee.coop, available at WTFpod.com. Guitar Hero, rock band. You know how I feel about it. I think they're ridiculous. I think that uh, kids should be learning how to play a real instrument, not learning how to interface with another machine. Then I got emails from people saying, you're missing a couple of things, you know, because of Rock Hero, because of Guitar Band, uh, Rock Band or Guitar Hero. I'm bonding with my kid around music that I grew up with. She's starting to like music. He's starting to like music. Some letters even said that, said that it's inspiring their children to play instruments. Okay. I amend my argument. I still have a problem with it, but that sound, those sound like wonderful, lovely stories. Well, here was my nightmare. My brother's got a guitar. We both played guitar when we were kids. We played together, but I stuck with it. He didn't. But, you know, occasionally every 10 years or so, he buys one and it disappears or it breaks and he claims he's going to play again. But there happened to be a pretty good guitar at his house. And I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to sing with the kids. Maybe we should, uh, you know, get this thing strung up and, you know, do Puff the Magic Dragon, you know, find a little, some kids songs online while we'll the sing along. And Craig says, that sounds great, like a great idea. So I go to Guitar Center. I buy some strings. I bring a couple of the kids with me. It's fun. Bring kids into a music store. Hopefully inspire them. But uh, so I get home. I string up the guitar, and I'm ready to go. And, and uh, I'm like, well, let's sing some songs, you guys. What, what do you want to sing? And literally all seven of them, all seven kids said, uh, Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. And I'm like, wait, is that a kid song? No, Eye of the Tiger, you know, like, uh, you know, Eye of the Tiger from, uh, from Rock Band. And I'm like, what? And my brother goes, yeah, they all, they know that song because they've all played Rock Band over and over again. They know all the words to Eye of the Tiger, the Survivor song. It's Survivor, right? Eye of the Tiger. And yeah, yeah, that one. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That, I mean, that was, that's, that's a bad song no matter how you slice it. I mean, it's just bad. I didn't say that to the kids. But I said, that, that's, but, but they know all the words to it. I'm like, so what, what are you telling me? And he says, well, I'm just telling you they know all the words to that. And then little Shy, who's, uh, how old is he, eight? He's like, Eye of the Tiger, play Eye of the Tiger. So now this is what I had to do uh, when I spent time with my brother's kids and his wife's kids, the brood. I sat there and I learned how to play Eye of the Tiger. Not only could I not really listen to that song, but it was imposed upon me. I know the song. We all know the song from the movie from the radio we know the song do we like the song i don't i don't think so i no i know not so i'm sitting there learning the chords to eye the tiger and and i felt 
angry a little bit and a, and a little bit embarrassed because of my particular musical pedigree and what I like. But I learned those chords, my friends, and I memorized them. And I sat down with seven kids and played Eye of the Tiger for them. And they all sang as if it were Puff the Magic Dragon or any other child song. And they sang the shit out of Eye of the Tiger. And it was beautiful. I guess times are changing. Just put the gum in your mouth in preparation for your radio interview. Let me just, I'll tell you a little bit of how this works. Please do. Uh, when you're about to go on radio, the thing you don't think is like, maybe I should uh, put gum in my mouth. Yeah. Or, or perhaps, oh, let me put my retainer in. Those are things you don't do. Take the, the kazoo, bird call. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my guest in my garage is Dave Polano. He is a comedy writer. He's uh, he's written for MTV. He uh, was the head writer on Blind Date, was it, and some other stuff. Yeah, one of the writers, one of many writers on Blind Date. Uh, executive yeah. producer, E Entertainment. Oh yeah, screenwriter. Yeah, he's basically a Hollywood guy. He's a guy that came out here to make it in show business, like the rest of us, with just a uh, with just a suitcase and a dream, right? Suitcase of dream, yeah. Gr- very green, naive, um, an old Subaru. Oh, cat. nice, nice. Yeah. Now, was it your own car? Yeah, it was. It was paid for. Oh yeah. yeah. So, but you came out with your own car. Came out with you my own car. You didn't get your your parents didn't give you a crappy one. Nah, no, nah, I was old. How old were here. you when you came out here? Uh, th- around thirty. Wow, you waited on it, huh? Yeah. Were you one of those guys that was like, "They'll find me here"? Yeah, I was, where were you living in Boston? I was. I was. I was living in the uh, South End. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, of course, I'm going to get discovered. Yeah, I'm going to get discovered in Boston. It happens right? all the time. I just have to write this thing. I'll finish it, and and I'll put uh, a binder clip on it, and then magic will happen. I don't have to send it anywhere. They'll come right over. Yeah. The best. The best part was was trying to get an agent in L.A. from Boston. Oh yeah. Yeah, they just love that. Yeah, a lot of. I bet you a lot of uh, follow up calls were uh, made by you. Did you get the message that I sent? Yeah. Did you read my stuff yet? Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you spark to my material? Oh, see, but then you got to feel what the other side is like. So you come out here, and uh, and then what happens? You're like, I'm here. I come out here with a, with a it was a spec news radio, you know, a news radio spec. Because I was in the day, you know, you wrote your you spec. wrote a you, you wrote, wrote an spec. episode of news radio. News radio came out here. The plan was get an agent, get staffed on, you know, Frasier, Friends, maybe The Simpsons mm-hmm. would be great. Sure, and then buy a house in the hills. That, just like that, probably inside a year that would happen. Yeah, uh, smash cut to me uh, taking money out of my credit card to pay rent. Nice. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I'm reminded of Sunset Boulevard, uh, the scene where he approaches his agent on the golf course and says, I need money. My car just got towed. And, and, and the agent's like, well, when you're hungry, that's when you really do the good work. It's like, you don't understand. I need, I need, I need money. And the guy goes, maybe what you need is a new agent. Oh, yes. Do you I, I, w- I wish I had, I wish I had an agent to tell me that. I, I couldn't even get one at the So time. what'd you do for work? You know, uh, Broke and desperate. I uh, first job was I uh, worked for a catering company. Wow, um, I know a lot of people that do that. Yeah, it, it was cool. You know, you get to work the uh, Oscars and the Emmys. Oh, so you did high end catering. I did for- high end. Um, a couple, a couple of great, uh, a couple of peaks of my catering career was yeah. uh, was a charity event at Paramount Studios, and uh, my section ran out of Evian water. Okay, not good. And uh, so we had to go to the employee bathrooms at Paramount and and, and hand funnel sink water. 
into Evian bottles. As opposed to say you were, ran out because that would make the company look bad. Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. And then I uh, had a pour to Dustin Hoffman, oh. which was, you know, I, I love the guy. And I, I'd love to meet him someday and say, yeah, I, poured, I gave you a hand-funneled sink water. Did you were, Did you do any follow-up? Like, is everything okay, Mr. Hoffman? Is the water okay? Oh, yeah. I poured it like an expensive wine, so... He, he, he had no idea. All right, so now Dustin Hoffman doesn't know he consumed tap water. <laughs> yeah. What else you got? What else I got? Uh, Getty opening of the Getty Center. I oh, got to yeah. uh, that tremendous disappointment. Yeah, um, I got to. Uh, they didn't feed. They didn't, never fed the staff at those things. They yeah, just, you, you're you're serving the best food around, and nobody feeds you. So you just you take other people's food. So right, Sydney Poitier. Uh, yeah, was. Was was given a steak and uh, the, the guy's a vegetarian, so uh, I was summoned to go get get rid of his steak. And uh, I remember I grabbed it and um, I was like, "Screw this! I'm not going to give it back to the company." I put it in my breast pocket of my tux and uh, had a friend, one of the bartenders. I had him grab a expensive bottle of wine, pour it into a coffee cup, and we met in the uh, men's room of the Getty Center and, and shared Sidney Poitier's steak. Did you put it in plastic or anything? I, was, I folded it in a napkin, stuffed it in my breast pocket. <laughs> How was that steak? It was the best fucking steak I've ever had. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that was a, a fairly illustrious catering career. Yeah, it was good times. And then um, it just you know finally I I went to a temp agency and uh they put me the my my this is the start of my career. I got I got placed uh, at the front desk of Miramax Films. Now that's actually a, a, a fairly big gig. I mean that's you're actually inside. You're on the inside. You have access. And uh, you're you're an entry level position at a major studio. Yeah, this is Shakespeare in Love, Life is Beautiful, Goodwill Hunting, Miramax. That was, right. You know, and uh, yeah, it's weird because you're literally the lowest rung of the uh, ladder. Yeah. Yet you're the gatekeeper for the whole company. Yeah. All calls funnel through you to everybody. Every you know. Yeah. yeah. And this is where the fun begins. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the, the thing about a movie studio is that it's just everybody in the world wants to reach Bob and Harvey Weinstein or or some of the execs. It's just and it's one script after another. People are trying to pitch me on the phone, and as you know, the the rule is no unsolicited scripts. Right, which means that you you can't send it yourself. You cannot send it yourself. It has yeah. to go through an agent. Right. Um. And uh, so all day long, my job involved telling people no, and and I felt bad. I mean, you know, I didn't not trying to, cr- you know, crush anybody's dreams. But right. You just can't put these calls through to people. Right. Uh, like like what were the calls like? Um, you know, there was, there was, it was, it was a really strange array. There was like, there was German callers asking questions about Uma Thurman's shoes. There was, uh, people with just bizarre pitches for Bob and Harvey that they would start pitching to me at the front desk. Um, like, uh, like, well, give me an example. Yeah. <laughs> there was one, it was a guy, it was a mob story, but the fed going after the mob was in a wheelchair, but, right. but, but the head of the mob was also a quadriplegic and wow. So this guy thought he had a real hook. Yeah, and 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 there'd be scripts they would send. You know, sometimes you just look at some of the scripts. And I remember the one. There was this one script that came in that had a lot of gunplay, and the guy literally wrote out tat 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 every freaking about about eight eight to ten percent of the script was filled with tat tat tats. Oh, gunplay. Great stuff like that. So I guess I guess that's why you got to go through an agent. Yeah. Um. And so just. Those calls all day long, all day. Oh, and people would sometimes people would complain about films that we didn't even make. That fucking Titanic is a piece. No, we didn't, man. We didn't. We didn't make Titanic. That that, that was. They just would call with general complaints about movies. Yeah. And what about like uh, did they all? Did they ever call with complaints about movie stars or anything? Or 
Yeah, well, people would call... Uh, can, can I speak to Robin Williams, please? It's like... He was in Goodwill Hunting. We made the movie a couple years ago. Uh, he's not walking around the lot. In fact, there is no lot here. We're, and how'd they respond to that? They didn't believe me. They, really? Oh, they no. Were. No. Every, every star of every Miramax movie was just hanging out and it's, it's spectacular yeah. how little people know. Even, I know. but I find this with fairly intelligent people though. I mean, some people don't really know how the, the, the machinations of, of show business, what they really are. They yeah. just think that, like, they turn the cameras on and those people are all right there and, and they make it all up. Yeah. And the, and the script was well written beforehand. Oh, yeah. It? There's, it's just like it's, it goes right to the TV or right to the movie screen. There's no <laughs> process. And these are intelligent people. Yeah. So you're sitting there and, and, and what happens to, what, I mean, there was some shift in, in the way you started, uh, uh, dealing with these people. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the shift. Um, one day, uh, a guy from one of the trade publications, Hollywood Reporter, uh, calls and uh, he just was trying to get through to somebody in publicity. Right. I he kept getting voicemail. He got pissed. He took it out on me. Yeah. Um, and uh, as I, people will do, as people will do. Yeah. I don't blame him, but I uh, I kind of hung up the phone on him, which really isn't a good idea. Right. Um, don't hang up the phone on somebody more powerful than you it's a lesson for all yeah, I've, I've had to learn that over and over again that's <laughs> right. why i'm in my garage <laughs> it's a lovely garage though. thank you very much like the mid-century chair um and uh so he calls back t- he wants to talk to my boss so he can get me fired right i'm like oh shit i mean i you know i may be the bottom rung of the company but but it's it's a rung i'm on a rung yeah. at least and uh so i put him on hold and uh and i'm like shit i gotta do something and um so i Thought well, uh, I thought of the name Jay Flanick. Okay, there's an old buddy's pseudonym, and uh, I copped a British accent. Yeah, because I had to disguise my voice. And, and, and the funny thing is that my British accent really isn't that good at all. Right. So it's very, it's very, it's a poor man's imitation of Monty Python. And uh, I picked up the phone and said, "Yeah, you know, it's Jay Flanick from Miramax." Let's hear the voice. Hello, you've reached the office of Jay Flanick. Oh, good, good. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Right, I right. mean, that's my British accent. So you're sitting there going, it's Jay Flanick's yes. office. And yeah, I'm dreadfully sorry, dreadfully sorry. I personally see to his dismissal. And, uh, and what the guy, what was the guy saying? Well, initially he was, he was, he was kind of like that Christian Bale, uh, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, oh, he was pissed. He lost it. <laughs> uh, but, but he bought it pretty easily. And, and again, it was funny to me because my, it kind of sounded like me. I mean, right. but he bought it. And uh, so I'm like, wow, this is great, you know, because uh, uh, this this could be something. So I, I decided to give Flanick his own uh, extension at the company. <laughs> so was, like through a voicemail? Oh, yeah. Hello, you've reached the office of Jay Flanick, Miramax Films. Yeah. Please leave a message. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now when somebody wouldn't take no for an answer, they yeah. wanted to send a script in, send it to Jay Flanick. So, you know, so he was in the dress, so you were getting all the mail anyways? Yeah, yeah, I was in charge of the mail, I was in charge of the phones. You know, so you created this Jay Flanick yes. person, he's got a voicemail, he's got an extension, and you, were, you would tell, like you would get on the phone with publicists or, or whatever, and you'd say, well, I'll get that to Flanick, send me the tickets kind of thing? Yeah, it was more like, you know, for all those people that would never say take no for an answer, right. send your script to Flanick. You have a complaint, let me put you through to Jay Flanick. And I check his voicemail once in a while and you hear all the complaints. Um, it's so sad that you didn't keep all of them. I know. I know. That would have been fucking awesome. <laughs> the, uh, so in about two weeks, Flanick's getting pretty good volume of mail. He's getting scripts on a daily basis. He's getting... I start signing him up for magazines, like little minor minor creative directories. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, 
and people start hearing about him around the office. Like, you know, the, at the studio, it was really funny. All the execs were, were, were in their offices with the door shut. But everyone else, all the assistants and myself, were kind of in this big bullpen. So everybody... Yeah. Everybody knew of Flanick at this point, and if they had problem now, if they had problem people, they would call me and say, "Hey, can you take a Flanick call?" Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> now, so now, a few of these execs again. This is like Miramax is it's huge. It, now. It, it, the, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. A few of the execs thought this was pretty funny, and you know they were giving me Flanick calls, and of course I'm going to do. I'm doing favors, um, and uh, the. Uh, so one of them one day said, you know, what are you doing with yourself? And I explained, you know, I've been rejected by – the thing about you know, Hollywood too, agencies don't reject you. They just don't get – they don't want to say no because God forbid they want to do business with you someday. Yeah. They'll just not respond. Right. Negative means they don't want to piss you off. Right. That's just, you know, the West Coast thing. Yeah. It's like it's like the same thing where they don't fire anybody. Eventually you just get a call like, oh, I get – is that – I think that uh – that's not happening. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're like with women out here. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just don't hear from them again. Uh, so uh, I told her, look, you know, I'm trying to find an agent, da da da. And she uh, said, ah, ah, no problem. Made a phone call. Um, a week later, uh, at an agency hip pocket me, which you know means ah, we'll we'll try you out, but right. we don't want to go through all the paperwork. A week after that, they sent me out for my first uh, job interview, and it was for a head writer job for an MTV show. No TV experience. You right. Know, Boston sketch comedy does not count as TV experience. And uh, I was not qualified, by the way, for this position. And uh, I go in and I tell the Flannick story. It killed in the room. Hired me in the room. That's spectacular. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is spectacular. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's how I got my first job. Thanks to Jay Flannick. Thanks to Jay Flannick. He is the uh, gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Now, what about like the Weinstein's? Did they ever get hip to it, or the uh, the bigger executives? I mean, was there? No, you know, I had a way of doing business there that, I, I, as long as you got your work done, people really didn't care. And one of the things I was good at at Miramax was delivering bad news. Um, there was a real art to it, and I kind of got it down because well, let's teach some of the people. Yeah, let me tell you about. It. Here's how to give bad news in Hollywood. Hollywood execs. They need everything immediately. Right. Everything has to be done immediately. Well, 10 years ago, if you wanted to switch a cell phone, it took, it was, you know, it was a two week process or a one or two week process. And that was always unacceptable. You were screwed. You know, an exec said, I need a new cell phone. And you told them it was going to take, you know, three weeks. Um, or, excuse me, if you told them it was going to take a week, you were dead in the water. You yeah. were chewed out. You were shit. You yeah. Know? So I would go, you know, Dave, we need a cell, you know, I get an email, Dave, need a cell phone change. I'd go into the office and say, hey, talk to the cell phone company. They're telling me it's going to be th- three weeks to a month. This is bullshit. I'm waiting to get the manager on the phone so I can tear the guy a new asshole right now. Right. Go back to my cubicle, hang out for a while, come back about an hour later, say, got some great news. They're, they're going to do it in a week. <laughs> oh, Dave, you're the best. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. You know. So, so it's all it's just, about uh, it's, just, it's all about the delivery, but it's also about you know it's it's basic politics. Yeah, that you know you present this like this horrendous thing, and you're like I'm going to take care of it, <laughs> knowing going in exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, and that's how you get ahead. That's how I got ahead. That's I did that every on a daily basis. That was my mo. Just. Yeah. Make it, it was like he's kind of like Scotty in Star Trek. Yeah, oh, Scotty knew the whole time he'd get it going in an hour. Oh, I couldn't go to go and Captain, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew the whole time. Then he looks like a hero in the end. All right, so that's the way you do it. Yeah, you just make a huge deal that only you can fix. Yes, thank you. That's it. So, what are you working on now? 
I'm uh, doing a this is kind of this is a cool project. I'm out with a doc right now, featured doc on uh That's documentary. Thank you. Industry. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't doesn't automatically translate in the, in the no, podcast. No, we got to translate uh, you know show business ease into uh, into regular people talk. Uh, so, what's the doc about? Docs, it's it's about the uh, it's about the glory days of National Lampoon. Oh, really? Yeah, and how they changed modern comedy with uh, Hendra and Sean yeah. Kelly and PJ O'Rourke. PJ O'Rourke um, and uh, Doug Kenny, the great yeah, Doug, Doug Kenny. Kenny. Sure. Um, just it, what I found, you know, uh, in doing all the research on this was. Uh, yeah, I'm partnered with a doc maker guy, uh, Eddie Schmidt. Um, Eddie did uh, this film is not yet rated. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, great, great. Eddie wrote and produced that. Um, and Maddie Simmons, Maddie's it's Maddie's story. Oh, I know his son, Mike. Yeah, Michael. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah, he's still around. Is he all right? Yeah, I've, met, I've had a few meetings with Maddie and Michael. Yeah, um, Maddie's still. Maddie's still going strong. I mean, but he came in late. I mean, he was like right. He took it over after the original crew was all gone. Right? No, Maddie. Maddie actually. Founded it with with uh, Kenny and uh, oh really yeah okay and, and Kelly now when uh, Sean Kelly yeah you know Sean Kelly's son is Chris Kelly oh Sean Kelly Chris Kelly is a, a great comedy writer yeah 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 and I had uh, I had one of the greatest moments with Sean Kelly because I liked Lampoon a lot when I was a little guy a little the, kid the glory days yes well I mean I was still young. But like I, you know, so I'd been reading Mad Magazine, and then somebody somehow I got hold of the National Lampoon. And I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> exactly. This is like this is the one. This is where it's at. And you know that must have been in like probably the late 70s. And so it was it was already going a while. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I knew the guys, and I liked P.J. Works' work. I liked Sean, I liked um, uh, Doug Kenny and Tony Hendra was there yeah. too, and uh, and Sean Kelly. And I did a project years ago for HBO Downtown Productions, and Chris Kelly was the head writer for me on it. He writes for for Bill Maher usually now. Okay. And uh, Sean Kelly came down to the the taping of the pilot, and I was very excited to meet him. And we're just talking comedy, and you know he's you know he's written a couple books in his own right, uh, one about the Saints, I believe, literally a book about Saints. And we were talking about comedy, and I'm like Dennis Miller. Do you like Dennis Miller? Because I didn't like Dennis Miller. And he goes, Oh yeah, Dennis Miller. Fearlessly attacking trivia. I just thought that was a fucking genius. I mean, there's there are a few things I remember, you know, certain lines like that. Yeah. So that sounds like a really interesting project. And it's one of those things that I think, you know, as you get older, uh, I don't know how old you are. How old are you? Uh, early 40s. There you go. So yeah. I'm a little older than you. That, you know, so much of this stuff gets lost in a, in a culture that moves so fast. And, I know. And has no ability of contextualizing anything into a time frame. And uh, and certainly very few people that are younger than us are going to even really know, you know, what Lampoon was and who came out of Lampoon and what it did culturally at that time. But it, it was one of the only magazines uh, in America to take the type of satirical risks that it took. It just didn't exist in, in the world. Yeah. And and some of this stuff was heinous. Was heinous. There there was a story in there. One that one story I'll never forget is. Uh, that story, I think it was called My Vagina. My Vagina, yes. I think, I think it was a John Hughes piece, I think. Yeah, it was genius. About a, a guy. He goes swimming, right? He, he starts having his period in the pool. Right. Some guy, a boy in his teens realizes all of a sudden he wakes up, he's got a vagina. And then when he tells his friends, of course, they all fuck him, right? <laughs> was, wasn't that where it went? So, yeah. Something like that? Yeah. And then there was uh, you know all the uh, pictorial stuff. 
uh, you know, really like they, I remember there was an LL bean catalog El- where everything wasn't made with, it wasn't made with goose down. It was made with goose liver, like a goose the, liver jacket. Eddie, it was the Eddie Bauer. Eddie Bauer. Yeah. Do you remember the, that? Com- yeah. I remember it was that they combined LL bean with Eddie Bauer. Right. The one. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was all the photo funnies and then there was, um, Vietnamese baby book. I oh mean, my just, God. They, no, they, the yearbook uh, parody. Yeah. That was genius. One of, one of the cool things I learned was that, uh, you know, what I didn't realize it, uh, people like Belushi, Chevy Chase, yeah. Gilda Radner, right. uh, uh, Christopher Guest were also part of Lampoon, but part of the radio hour and the stage show. Oh, well, yeah. Belzer, Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have that box set. Oh, I mean, it's pretty it's spectacular. Bill Murray and Christopher Guest doing bits together. Oh, yeah. No, it's like you should definitely get that. It came out on Rhino. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was great. Yeah. I have that set somewhere. And uh, at one point, NBC approaches Maddie Simmons about doing a sketch show. Maddie's, I mean... Lampoon at the time, I think it had 300 employees. I mean, it was freaking big. Maddie's too busy running things. He, he declines. Uh, uh, NBC goes to Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Uh, Lauren goes to the uh, Lampoon sketch show, grabs Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, uh, John Belushi, Michael O'Donohue, and uh, that's Saturday Night Live. Is that how it happened? Yeah. From a National Lampoon sketch show? I had no idea. That's a that's a great tidbit. Well, when's this doc coming out? Uh, trying to sell it. I think th- I like the way you pitch it. By the way, so I think we might have to bring you some of the uh, upcoming pitch meetings. Wait, what did I say? Oh no, and it's like how you how, how you phrased it about. I mean, oh, contextual. Yeah, it in the yeah, context. yeah. Exactly. Because to, to me too, as I looked at this, they change modern comedy. I think as we know it today, really came from Lampoon in the early seventies. Well, what's happening now is there's a movement away from stand-up into sketch, and and which means that most of it is rooted in the in the Chicago style. Yeah, that that they're they're hiring people who can uh, write, do characters, and also share a stage. Right. So it's it, most of a lot of people are coming out of sketch now, and certainly that uh, that kind of National Lampoon, um, Second City uh, Matrix, like the uh, the the, yeah. the the meeting of the two because all those Chicago guys they, came yeah. out of Second City they did yeah and then they came into New York to do the radio show I don't know you know you no know, that's it yeah and uh, and there were some New York personalities there too uh, you know because I know Belzer was on some of them and I'm not sure you know and then Ramis Ramis came in too and uh, and that was sort of uh, yeah that's true that a lot of what happened and what is happening now. Uh, in sketch and in television, did come from that New York Chicago yeah. uh, meetup. And I think a lot of the guys today, you know, if you look at John Stewart, Stephen Stephen Colbert can recite some of these old pieces. I mean, some of the talent today, whether it be a uh, yeah, Bill Maher, even Jim Carrey, uh, they all cite Lampoon as huge influence. Well, yeah, they redid, uh, they did a, uh, they did the Lemmings Festival uh, with Andy Richter as a lead in New York not too long ago. They redid that record. Uh, the Lemmings, oh, no National Lampoon Lemmings, which was a, a, a satire of the Rock Fest, of the Woodstock Fest. Right, right. Yeah. And I think in the original one, I think Belushi did Cocker, and uh, it was actually its own record, National Lampoon Lemmings. Yeah, we have some, yeah, I, we have, we found some of the old archival footage of that on, done on stage. It's pretty cool to see Belushi and Chase, like, pre-Saturday Night Live doing uh, stuff. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Oh, so you've got to sell this thing, dude. I know. It's a great story. Well, I mean, I think that like th- that context has changed with with a lot of things. I mean, you know, just that you know people forget. Uh, I mean, you have kids. I mean, do you let them? Do you let them watch? I mean, I mean, we grew up with certain entertainment that we think has integrity. <laughs> yeah. And and now like a lot of things I see, and I don't know if it's just that I'm getting old 
or where I say like, oh no, the Rolling Stones were the best, or the Iggy Pop and the Stooges, and they're like, well, shut up, old man. <laughs> there's this whole thing in, in retrospect. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. this whole in retrospect factor where you forget, like, you know, I look at all the violent stuff my kid wants to watch, and I want to be like this. I want to be a parent that you know open-minded but doesn't let yeah. my kid watch anything you want the kid to like you as a friend yeah, yeah, yeah. but but I, you know i gotta get there's gotta be limits so right so i decided to start showing him some of the stuff from my you know childhood that i watched i grew up you know after school the warner brothers cartoons yeah, were they're on, always on yeah. and they were already old when we saw them. yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. but that's what that's what we had yeah yeah the, the references were like humphrey bogart and stuff yeah and, but they, but that was it they, yeah. no one seemed to be making cartoons so yeah uh, so so one day we, we put out a we put on a uh, Pepe Le Pew cartoon, and, yeah. and I'd forgotten this, that Pepe Le Pew, he spent the entire episode trying to rape a cat. <laughs> it's like this interspecies rape. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this is crazy. And I'm watching, and I'm watching, and he's trying to rape the cat. She's saying no, clearly saying no to Pepe. Right? Sure, sure. So finally, the, the, the last shot of the, uh, of the cartoon is, uh, is the cat chained up in Pepe's Paris apartment. And uh, she's chained up, and and Peppy's got a big smile on his face, and the cat breaks the fourth wall. You know, she's looking at the audience like, "You're com- if you let this happen, you're complicit in this rape. Please, for the love of God, help!" And uh, she's got tears welling up in her eyes, and Peppy just winks at the camera, and shuts the door. Is that it? And there was I'm like, holy! So I'm like, okay. Later, another time, I tried Popeye, again, not realizing that. Most Popeyes were about uh, Bluto. Remember Bluto? Yeah, Bluto trying to rape Olive. Yeah, and he was—he wasn't carrying her on her shoulder back to his place to uh, have cookies and tea. Right. And then you know Popeye would usually you know eat spinach and just beat the living shit out of him so badly that he'd be in the hospital with just broken bones and face because Bluto tried to rape his girlfriend. So here, here you are trying to set a good example for yeah. your kid, and you realize, holy shit, the stuff we yeah. grew up on was much more violent, yeah. just in a different way, a cuter yeah. way. Yeah, don't watch gunplay. Watch rape. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a good message for the kids. Thank you. All right, Dave Polano, thank you for joining us. That was a great talk. Thanks, Mark. This is, uh, I like the garage. His story about Miramax and the L.A. Times, uh, you can go to the L.A. Times website. What's it called? Yeah, I remember what I titled it. Uh, yeah, I think it's called Cut. Oh really? Yeah. Well, you can tell ta- you can yeah. do Dave, David. What Thank is it you. under David Polano? Dave. D a v e p u l l a n o. Do a search and uh, read the article. Thanks for coming. <music> Folks, I I know that uh, that some of you know Howard Kramer, and uh, we were going to have him on the show, but uh, he uh, he couldn't make it, and for some reason his brother just showed up. Uh, and I don't even really know his brother. What's your, what's your Howard's brother? Yeah, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, man? he couldn't come, so you know, I said, you know, I could come for you. I don't do a lot of comedy, but you know, I could fill in, you know, so you're not, you know, burning a bridge by yeah. not fulfilling a commitment. So you're watching your brother's back. Yeah. And what's your name? Lee. Lee. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, now, what's up? I'm nice. Lee. <laughs> it's nice to see you, man. So, so Howard just told you, he, did he? Did yeah, he, he couldn't come. He wasn't feeling well. So then I said, you know, I'll come so that, you know, somebody shows up. Somebody's physically there. <laughs> do you have any jokes or anything? I don't have a lot of jokes. I don't do a lot of comedy. My brother's the comedian. Do you get along with your brother? Yeah, he's good. He's not that funny. <laughs> 
I was, you know, we, we grew up, we, we had to say, he, he said he wanted to be a comedian. I said, you weren't even the funniest person in our bedroom. <laughs> so you thought you were the funny guy. Yeah, I was funny. Uh, yeah, are you still funnier? Yeah. Now, do, now when, uh, when Howard does, uh, you know, he does an impression of you. Yeah, I've heard it. Does do, does it bother you? It doesn't bother me. It doesn't sound like me. It's not the way I talk. You know, uh, you know, friends have heard it. They they think it's good, but I don't hear personally. I don't hear it. Now, does it? What about the rest of your family? Do they like it? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't talk to. I show up for Thanksgiving. I eat the food for about forty-five minutes. Then I go upstairs to my cousin's room. I tear all the blankets and sheets off of both of the beds. I pile them up in the middle of the room. I turn the heat up to about ninety-eight, and then I just go to sleep. <laughs> Do you, uh, so you you like to eat? Eating's good. I like food. You know, I like to eat it. What do you do for a living? I'm a CPA. Resigned to my fate. Yeah. Did you have other dreams? Uh, I was going to be, uh, you know, just uh, just like a guy who has sex with chicks. How's that going? God. Yeah? You have sex with a lot of chicks? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Do you date anybody now? Uh... I sort of I do. I can't talk about that. Okay. All right. I understand. So uh, now, I, is Howard going to do the show at some point? I think, you know, hopefully he'll feel better. But basically, you know, we woke up today, and then he said that he didn't feel good. And yeah. then I told him about that pod. You got to go do that Mark Maron podcast. Yeah. And then he said, I don't think I can make it. Yeah. And then I said, well, why don't I? I'll go. <laughs> I'll go down to the podcast so that somebody will be there. Well, I appreciate you coming, man. Yeah. You did a great job. Do you want something to eat? I got some stuff. I like food, yeah. Like cereal? Cereal's good. What kind? I've got grape nuts. Grape nuts are good. You like grape nuts? I'll do it. You want raisins in it or anything? You can put raisins in it. Sort of a snack. All right. And as soon as I'm done eating it, I'm going to leave. All right. You're not going to go into my room and pull all the... All the sheets off and put the heat on there? Oh, yeah, Mike. If I'm too tired, I'll do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lee. Say okay. hi to uh, Howard for me. Okay. He couldn't come today. I, I know. That's it. That's our show. I'd like to thank my guest, Dave Polano. A great story. And also Howard Kramer's brother. What are you going to do? I guess Howard will be on next time. That's just the way it's going to go. Look for Howard in the next episode of WTF. As always, go to punchlinemagazine.com for all your comedy, industry, entertainment, and uh, breaking news. Punchlinemagazine.com. And please go to WTFpod.com for justcoffee.coop links. If you coupon thing still exists, you can put WTF in the window at Just Coffee and get yourself a break on some Just Coffee coffee, Just Coffee co-op coffee, and also at WTF Pod. Get on the mailing list so I can let you know when I'm coming to your place of uh, business because that's how I'm going to be doing my act now. I'm just going uh, business to business, get the people around, do a little show, take a donation. No, if I come to a club or a, or a, a venue, I'd like to let you know. But I am taking donations. As you know, it, the podcast is, uh, is completely um, listener-sponsored. And I think I have updated the uh, link at PayPal, so if you subscribe, you can now put the size of the t-shirt that you will get 
uh, with your subscription. That's a $10 rolling donation. Or you can go the other route and just donate a flat rate of, of your choosing. Uh, but I, I really appreciate you supporting and listening to WTF. And uh, again, I hope you had a, a very safe and happy new year.